Good evening, New Life Church. It's great to see you. Yeah, why don't you stand to your feet? Oh, I'm so happy to be here. I'm thankful to be here in the house of the Lord with the people of God. Tonight, we're going to start this night by singing a song that welcomes the Holy Spirit, that welcomes the glory of God, the manifest presence of the Lord into this place. So will you just sing this simple chorus with us as we begin this night? Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be Sweetest of loves Where my heart becomes 
exaltation. Open the heavens. Open the heavens. Receive what is yours, oh Jesus. Receive what is yours. Come on, church, lift your voice and sing, worthy. Come on. Sing, worthy are you, God. Worthy is your name. sacrifice. We remember it and we sing of it and we worship you and say, you silence fear and all shame. You conquer death in the grave. To you the glory, Jesus. Yes, you broke the curse of our sin. The life of heaven began.
we come to give to the Lord of our tithes and offerings, I want to invite my friend Justin Archuleta up here. And yes, Justin is 26. He grew up in Colorado Springs. He's been on our staff for five years. So we hired him at 21. And you were on the hospitality team, right, to get started, right? That's right. Setting up and tearing down and cleaning the building and making the place go. But we noticed this pastoral gift on him and this gift to proclaim the word of God and his heart to take care of prisoners. And Justin said, can I, can I do that? Would you give that to me? Like I, God gave me a heart for the prisoners. And, and when COVID hit and the church shut down for 10 weeks, KRDO called us and they were like, hey, you wanna? And we said, yeah, we do. And so we went on, on every week on KRDO and they start broadcasting it into the prisons all over the state of Colorado. Thousands upon thousands of prisoners are hearing the word of God every week. And so Justin, I asked him to tell us a story because he's going into all these prisons and he's preaching and people getting saved and baptized. Can you tell us what's going on in the prisons, bro? Yeah, so it was about four years ago that Pastor Melton took me and a group of volunteers into Trinidad Correctional Facility. And I remember walking into the gymnasium for the first time and you have those butterflies, (laughs) you have that anxiety. And I remember us all holding up our hands in worship. It was at that moment that I was grounded in the reality I'm simply just worshiping with my brothers in Christ. Yes. Yes. And it was in that moment that I realized how much God not only loves me, but loves these men. Yeah. Despite their, their failures, God loves them. And there's leaders that are being brought up into the church. And there's a toiling of the the ground right now. There's hard soil and there's toiling going Mm -hmm. on. There's a working of the ground. And these men are so ready to receive the goodness that God offers them. And so there's men like my brother Travis. I think we have a picture of Travis. My brother Travis, he just got out last Thursday. (laughs) And it is because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's his submission to the kingdom of God and it's a mission to the story that Jesus has called him into that he's out today and he's not transitioning but he is continuing the good work that God has called him into yes. and so what I want to do is I want to take a moment and I want to pray over the toiling over the over the toiling of the soil mm. and all the work that's going on so father God do it, we welcome you into this space yes we do father God We lift up men like Travis, who are some of the most gifted and some of the most humble men that you have called to be in ministry, Father God. There are men being brought up that are going into pastoral ministry, Father God. There are men being brought up up and being uh, uh, thrown into leadership positions because that's where you've placed them, Father God. And for some reason, we're so surprised that even though we walk into these facilities and we serve and we serve well, I don't know why we're so surprised when we walk out and our cup is overflowing. That's right. (laughs) So we hand it all to you, God. We hand you, we give you all the glory. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, can you all give it up for my brother, Justin? I love this guy. He's 26. He's 26, but he's got an old soul and he's got history with God. And I can't wait to see what his life becomes in the next 25, 30 years. One more time, Justin Archuleta. Love you, bro. There's there's four different ways to give. That comes up on the screen here. But I I wanted you to hear some stories of what these resources are doing in our city and in the Pikes Peak region and all around our state. And so, Lord, take these gifts and bless these prisoners, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship as we give.
Yeah, come on, let's sing together. Sing letters, rejoice, for he reigns forevermore. One heart, one voice, singing glory to your name. Yeah, come on, church, let's lift our voice tonight. Sing letters. worship team ate and drank before church, but they came ready to play, you know? Can we say thank you tonight for their excellent leadership? We love you. A few announcements real quick. If you're new, welcome to New Life Friday Night. I'm Daniel Grothy, pastor here. We are thrilled to have you. God is doing something good here. I've been doing Friday nights for 14 years, almost 15 years. I can tell you there's something happening here. So join us. Swing by Guest Central after the service, and we'd love to give you a gift and get to know you. The second announcement, we have the 24-7 Prayer USA National Gathering here this week in this room. So Wednesday night, we're going to be going hard in here. Thursday night, we're going to be going hard in here Thursday morning. And then Friday morning, four sessions. 
And so you can get signed up online. If money's an issue, let me know. We'll take care of you. But it's going to be prayer leaders from all over the country. We're expecting about a thousand prayer leaders to fly in. And we're going to gather here for two and a half days to pray and worship. If you want to be in the presence of the Lord, this is the place to be this week. So avail yourselves of that. The final thing, we're doing baptisms on October 13th right here in the service at the end. So if you want to get baptized, if the Spirit's been moving you, if your children want to get baptized, you can get signed up. And I promise you, you will not hate that night. It's going to be a great time in God's presence. Now, take two minutes, cross the aisle, hug a neck, shake a hand, be kind, and then I'll open the Bible. One, two, three, be nice. Alrighty, alrighty, grab your seats. Thanks for coming tonight. There's the spirit of the Lord, the energy of the spirit in the room, and I'm excited about that. One quick little, can I just have a dad moment here? Can I just be a dad for a minute? I've got three kids. I don't, I don't take the stage over to be a dad, you know, regularly, but tonight I got one dad moment. So at the end of my sermon, I'm going to do something that I don't ever do. I'm going to walk off the stage, I'm going to run to my car, and I'm going to drive up to Lillian's High School because today in the homecoming pep rally or whatever, the school voted her the, uh, the class princess, the junior class, whatever. So, so that was cool. I was there. That was a neat moment. We, you know, the guy gave her a rose and, you know, it was a nice moment. And I said, don't touch my daughter. Uh, 
I'm just kidding. Uh, but tonight at the football game, at the 50-yard line at halftime, she's going to go out in a dress, and it's going to be a thing. So I'm going to preach. I'm going to say amen. And then I told Jordan just a minute ago, you're going to do communion. Thank you. It wasn't a question. It was, you're going to do communion. Thank you. And uh, then we'll worship our way out of here, just like normal, okay? So can I be a dad tonight? Thank you. All right, cool. Week seven, week seven of our series going through the book of First Kings, a series called Kings and Kingdoms. And last week, we finished the story of King Solomon. So King Solomon was the main character in the first 11 chapters, David's boy. And he started off pretty well, and he ended worse than Pharaoh. It was a cautionary tale tracking the story of Solomon. Well, Solomon's dead. And now we pick up this week in chapter 12, and I'm going to read you the first 16 verses, and then I'll pray, and we'll jump in. Hear the word of the Lord, 1 Kings 12, 1 through 16. It says, Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam. Jeroboam, Rehoboam. These are our two main characters tonight. And they went to Rehoboam the king and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, Go away for three days, let me think about it, and then come back to me. So the people went away for three days. And then King Rehoboam consulted the elders. Everyone say the elders. King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. So Rehoboam is Solomon's boy, right? Solomon just died. Rehoboam is now the king. So he goes to his father's elders and says, what should I do? How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. And they replied, if today, the elders said, if today you will be a servant Everyone say, a servant. A servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer. They will always be your, their heart will be toward you if you'll serve them. They'll always be your servants. Next verse. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and he consulted his young yes men, his boys from school that he grew up with. He consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him And he asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now the young boys say, here's what you should tell those people. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. This is like a taunt here. Do you kind of get the language? My my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke and I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips and I will scourge you with scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam as the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders And he followed the advice of the young men and said, my father made your yoke heavy and I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips and I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people for this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah the Shilonite. 
When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, what share do we have in David and what part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel. Do you see what they say? Like we were a part of the nation here. To your tents now, Israel. Look after your own house, David. They're throwing it back to the king. So the Israelites went home and we see that the nation begins to fall apart. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we need you tonight. We need you. If we come up here to try to be cute, if we come up here to try to be entertaining, if we come up here to try to be tricky, we're just going to have wasted everything about our time tonight. We say we need you, Holy Spirit. We say we desire you. We say we need your instruction. We need your counsel. We need you to make us your people tonight. We did not come here to waste our time. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening, we pray. So we pray that you would have permission to race through this place. God, have your way. Take over. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done. And let us go home tonight more clearly and truly your people, we pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. amen. All throughout history, when a king or a queen dies, a national moment arises. We, we saw this recently, Queen Elizabeth the world kind of stops for a moment to watch and to pay attention. There's mystery, there's intrigue. What's gonna happen now? Who's gonna take over? How are they gonna do? Is it gonna be, are they, are they gonna be joyful and peaceful? Is it gonna be a yoke that's easy for them? Or are they, gonna, are they gonna suffer under the weight of it? What's gonna happen to the nation? And this text tonight is one of those stories. Solomon dies and his son Rehoboam rises. His dad dies and he goes to his father's cabinet. His, his, the intelligentsia of the day, the military leaders, the sages, the, the political forecasters, the ones who were his dad's trusted advisors. He goes to those guys and surely Rehoboam grew up around these men. He knows them, they know him, there's trust, there's back and forth and he goes to them to say, what do I do? These folks have come to me and said, you know, take it easier on us. Your dad was just making life difficult. What should I do? And I'll just say, just stop right here for a moment and say, I, I hope you have elders in your life. Good, wise, safe, trusted sages and saints that have stood the test of time, that have logged history with God, that have been faithful and they've experienced life and they've practiced the trial and error and they've gained the wisdom of the collected decades. I hope you have elders and sages and saints in your life that have sanity and wisdom and wholeness and holiness. And Rehoboam has these men in his life and he goes to them and they tell him, Solomon, your dad has been destroying the people. And we tried to wake him up. We tried to get his attention. When he was young, he wasn't like this. But the older he got, the more obstinate he got and the more set in his ways. And he stopped listening to people anymore. Rehoboam, look us in the eyes. You need to stop it. Rehoboam goes in front of the elders and they speak to him. And they tell him what's going on. There's three words in this text that summarize Solomon's leadership. Three words that happen over and over, recurring key words in this text to summarize Solomon's leadership. Those words are heavy, harsh, and hard. Solomon, 
the wisest man to ever live, the, the richest man. No, no. He started well and he ended terribly. And by the end, he was forcing concentration camps around the nation and, and hiring or, or taking slave labor and building the temple of God. His leadership was heavy, it was harsh. It was hard. He was destroying the people. And now in the moment of his death, these people finally try to come up for one last gasp of air and speak some sense to his son to say, quit it. We want to be a part of this nation. We want to serve the Lord. We want to be a partner. But you've got to change the leadership style of our nation. What happens here? The elders replied, if today you will be a servant to these people, And if you will serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always, they're gonna work with you. They want to partner. Serve them, Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, it's interesting, in Hebrew, his name means he enlarges the people. He who sets the people at liberty. He was born as a little boy and he was given the name because his parents suspected that he might rise up one day to take the throne after his father Solomon would die. And they named him on purpose, Rehoboam. He who enlarges the people and he who sets the people at liberty. He's carrying in the very core of his naming structure what his identity and his purpose is supposed to be. And at this critical juncture, he comes to a fork in the road and he has to decide, will he live up to his identity or will he crush these people? He goes to the elders and they say, you've got a moment here. Cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Work with God. Your job is not to dominate these people. Your job is to serve these people. What we have right here in the text is a moment that's an an opportunity for change. And I'll just say, I'll take a moment here to just say that you don't have to stay where you are. (laughs) You don't have to stay where you are. You don't have to, you don't have to carry those old generational curses. J.K. Rowling, you know, she wrote a couple books. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. Uh, Harry Potter, sort of a big deal. Some of you are like, burn those books in Jesus' name. Okay, she's written some great ones, right? You know, she was doing a, uh, the commencement speech at Harvard and they flew her across from England and she's standing there with some of the great world leaders and the, the smart ones that are gonna go out to lead our nation and, and she says to them in her commencement speech, you ought to check it out, it was, a, it was a really great speech, but at one point she says, there's a shelf life on blaming your parents, You can change, you can grow, you can become holy, you can become free, you can do the work, you can press in, you can come from a broken story and carry a new story of wholeness and wholesomeness forward. If any person be in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And if we can't shed these old ways of being, let's just all quit right now. If Jesus died on the cross and we can't be free, then what did he do up there? He wasted his time. But if Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, my, my, my suspicion is that anything's on the table and any future is possible. There are horizons that you've never even imagined that if you just stay faithful for the next five years, one foot in front of the other, day in, day out, you will show up and you'll go, look what the Lord has done. You can change, friends, by the power of the Holy Spirit.
You can change. Rehoboam could have changed what was going on in the nation of Israel. He could have made amends for the curse of what his father had inflicted on his people. He was not a slave to what he had been handed. He had full cognizance, he had full agency. He even goes to his elders to find out what was necessary for the people and they shot him straight and he doubled down in his madness. And when you do that, it can happen quick. Chaos ensues quickly. Rehoboam doubles down on his madness. He goes to his young friends that he grew up with. And I'll just say to you, if you only have peers, you are dangerous. If you only have people who've known you, for, and, and particularly if those peers know that you're signing the front of their check. You are dangerous. These elders didn't need anything from Rehoboam. These guys had fought their wars. These guys had made their money. These guys, they they were secure in who they were. They weren't grasping for the throne. They were genuinely giving him good advice and they told him the truth. And these guys were trying to get close to the king because maybe I could join the cabinet one day and maybe I would have a a long-term pension and maybe I'd be able to get on the private jet with the king and fly around Israel. Anachronism, but you get the point, right? Be very careful if you only have peers who need something from you. Rehoboam consults his young advisors and they tell him that now is the time to make his mark. Now's the time to double down. Now's the time to show everybody what you're made of. Tell them my little pinky finger is thicker than my father's waist. And he came at you with whips and I'm coming at you with scorpions. Brace yourselves. Bow up, Rehoboam, is what they were saying. Let me just point out that Rehoboam's leadership is a study on the insecurity that leads to tyranny. His leadership is a study on the insecurity that leads to tyranny. You know when you're not secure in who you are, you have to really make life hard on everybody else. You know something I've never ever told my wife? Here's something I've never said. Don't you know that I'm the spiritual leader of our house? I need you to obey me. Come on, Lisa. I I decided, I went before the Lord and I sought his face and this is the will of God. I need you to listen to me. If you have to say you're the spiritual leader, you are not. It's called unity. It's called intimacy. It's called communication. It's called looking each other in the eye. It's called finding a a, a horizon together and, and figuring out how to move together and bring other people with you. Leadership doesn't have to flex. If you have to have an org chart above your desk and then someone says something to you and then you kind of refer to exhibit A over here. I just wanted you to know that you're below me on this org chart and and I want you to know. If you have to say it, you aren't. You know how you can tell a leader? Someone who's got people around them. Someone who's got people following them. Someone Someone who's willing to just bring morale up and strengthen the crew and enliven the crew and help people laugh. You know, the healthiest teams that I know of are teams that are laughing. 
Not teams that are scared because there's a really strong leader that's flexing and if I do the wrong thing, then I might get fired. That's not a culture that you wanna be in. You wanna be in a culture where people are thriving and people are flourishing and people are dancing and people are singing and people, we're going to top golf just you know, on the weekends just because we can because we love being around. If you have to flex, you are not a leader. Rhea Boehm's leadership style here is a study in the insecurity that leads to tyranny. Some thoughts on leadership. Just because you're strong doesn't mean you're wise. Just because you have power doesn't mean you have authority. It's a huge difference between power and authority. Authority doesn't have to raise its voice. Authority walks into a room and it, and it just kind of evokes something. Someone who's got spiritual authority, they have a mantle on their life, they have grace on their life. When they walk in, actually the room doesn't like, <gasps> the room relaxes when authority walks in because this is gonna be safe, we're gonna be okay. When power walks in, imagine being in Vladimir Putin's world right now. The insecurity that leads to tyranny. This is what Rehoboam's life shows us. But I'll say this, a true leader can have authority even without having access to institutional power. Gandhi, he took India over. He had very little institutional power. Martin Luther King Jr., took America by storm and said, thus saith the Lord, and I have a dream. And he was just trying to give us this day our daily bread and make it through. He had zero access to institutional power, but he certainly had authority. Friends, you can be a leader even if you're not on an org chart. You can change a culture even if you're not getting paid. You can step into a room and, and, and change the atmosphere because of the spirit of the Lord that gives you spiritual Authority. If you have to flex, you're not a leader. If you have to tell people that you're the boss, you're not the boss. <laughs> it's worth just noting right now that the most dangerous people are people who don't have truthful advisors. Truthful advisors. It's so ironic that earlier in his life, Solomon was the one that penned the proverb, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy... An enemy multiplies kisses. Hey, was there anything I could have done better in that leadership meeting? Oh no, it was amazing. Oh my. <laughs> hey, you know, I, I appreciated what you did there. I appreciated what you did there. Hey, one thing. Don't do that again. That was foolish. You lost the room there. A wise person will go, someone loves me. Someone who's defensive will go, shut up, man. You're fired. <laughs> Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. The most foolish people are people who don't listen to their truthful advisors. And this is Rehoboam boiled down and summarized. He goes to the elders, they tell him the truth. He goes to his peers who, for whom he's signing the front of the check and they lie to him and he loses the nation. 
If you don't have good advisors, you'll lose the nation. What happens in this moment, Jeroboam arises. So we've got Rehoboam who comes to the fork in the road. He makes the wrong decision. And Jeroboam all of a sudden is thrust into the limelight. He's this guy. He's the, he, he's the, if Rehoboam is the white collar, silver spoon son of the king, Jeroboam is the blue collar metal worker who's locked in as the leader of the labor union. He's the man of the people. He's Joe Plummer, Right? He's salty, he's got a dip in his mouth and a skull can in his back pocket. And then, how y'all learning? How y'all learning? Huh? And, and he, so they love this guy. He can do anything with his hands. And, and Rehoboam is precious. You know, he's getting his nails done on the weekend. And, and Jeroboam is salty and scrappy and there's not anything he can't do. And, he, he, and, and these people go, finally someone who gets us. A man of the people. We need you, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. We're done with you and everyone go to your home and take care of yourself and it's time to circle the wagons on your own story. Jeroboam arises and the nation descends into civil war. It splits. Ten tribes in the north, two tribes in the south. Jeroboam, the blue collar, man of the people, takes ten tribes up into the north and, and, and Rehoboam is stuck in the south. He's got two tribes and this is the beginning of the end for his leadership and there's a, a civil war. Israel is in the north and Judah's in the south and Jeroboam goes north and Rehoboam stays in the south. But the temple, here's the thing, the temple of the Lord was in the south. And this thickens the plot. Jeroboam, the blue collar, salty, scrappy, man of the people who's got 10 tribes is up north. And Rehoboam, the fool, white collar, silver spoon, son of the king, is in the south. And he has the advantage of having the house of worship in his region. And and Jeroboam gets insecure about this. Because if all the people have to go down there to worship, they're gonna see uh, Rehoboam's roads. They're gonna see the marketplace and they're gonna see the, the grocery stores are full and they're gonna go to the temple and it's gonna be a beautiful night in the house of the Lord and they're gonna go, you know, Rehoboam wasn't so bad after all. You know, kinda, I kind of miss being down in the south. I, I love those people down there. And so he tries to sequester his people up in the north and, and close the borders. Uh, there's a border crisis here in the north of, uh, of Israel at this moment. So he's trying to, you know, do the song and dance and look over here, la, 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 la. Don't look at the south. Don't go to the south. Don't pay attention. Don't worship down there. And what we see right here in verse 26, Jeroboam thought to himself, The kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. Shoot. I just got these people on board with my agenda and with my administration, and they think I'm a legend, and now they're going to revert to the south back to David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me, and they'll return. You see, there's insecurity everywhere. Can we just get a leader who's settled in who God made them to be. So Jeroboam is freaked out about it and they'll kill me and they'll return to King Rehoboam and after seeking advice, the king, the, the king Jeroboam, the new guy, after seeking advice, who are your advisors, my man? The king made two golden calves. Did you read the book? It didn't work the first time with one of them. 
and you think two is gonna be a blessing. You are a fool's fool, Jeroboam. Apparently his school system was not great where he came from. (laughs) After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves and he said to the people, oh, bless your hearts, I just, I... I'm compassionate for you and I don't want you to log all those miles and gas prices are just astronomical right now. It's just too much. It's too much for you. It's too much for you to go to Jerusalem. You've been doing it your whole life and all your grandparents have always gone to Jerusalem. But right now it's just, we should really stay home. We should stay home at the north. Those people in the south are dangerous. Don't go up to Jerusalem. Here here are your gods, O Israel, who brought the golden calves, here are your gods who brought you up out of Egypt. Like, how far have we fallen from our awareness of where we've come from and what doesn't work? Here are your gods that have brought you up out of Egypt. One, one he set up to, in Bethel, read it, and the other in Dan, and, and this thing became a sin. The people came to worship the one at Bethel, and they went as far as Dan to worship the other. Jeroboam built shrines on high places and appointed priests from from all sorts of people. You know, there's some priests in America today that come from all sorts of people. I don't know where they studied. I don't know what book they're reading. I don't know what God they've worshiped. I don't know. All sorts of people, and we're saying all kinds of things, and we're tacking things on God that that God wants nothing to do with. It is taking the Lord's name in vain. The things we're saying about God and the things we're saying about sexuality and the things we're saying about treating the poor and the things we're saying, like we got priests from all sorts of people running around our nation today too. He appointed priests from all sorts of people even though they were not Levites. The Levites were the people who had been trained. They preserved a line. They wanted to make sure that the priests understood where they came from and they understood what the truth was and they carried doctrine with all sobriety of spirit and and they humbled themselves and they worshiped and they they fasted and they were true priests of the house of God. Let's just, anyone, anyone want to be a priest? It's what Jeroboam said, and it's what many of us are saying today. He built two golden calves. He wanted to shorten the distance they had to travel to worship. Pay attention. Beware of any priest who wants to shorten the distance that you have to travel to worship. Use your imagination here. I'm not talking about logging miles on the highway. I'm talking about what does it cost to worship Yahweh. Beware of any priest that wants to make it easier. Bless your heart, don't go to Jerusalem, that's too much. You, you don't need to chasten your sexuality, that's too much. You don't need to sacrifice in the presence of God for worship, that's too much. God's fine with you, it's fine. You don't need to give sacrificially, you don't need to visit the prisoners with Justin Archuleta, you don't need to give to global missions, you don't need to serve the poor in our city, that's just too much. God wouldn't require that of you. He's gotten over that. That was the old God. Now God just wants you fat and happy. Beware of any priests that want to shorten the distance that you and I have to travel for worship. He wanted to make worship easy. He wanted to give them a God at a discount. He wanted to sell them a knockoff version at half the cost. He wanted to cater to their desires. And by making it easier for them, he thought he would win their allegiance. 
He needed God to be at a discount because he thought if he could get God at a discount, he could get these people at a discount. Jeroboam is insecure and he's trying to, he's trying to build a nation around him. Jeroboam's leadership is a study on the futility of giving the people what they want. We need some leaders who have a backbone. We need some leaders who have a conscience. We need some leaders who've wrestled with God. We need some leaders who will go out first and suffer first and sacrifice first and bleed first and pick up a cross and deny themselves and follow Jesus first. We need some leaders who won't say, hey, go over there and worship God. They say, come and follow me as I follow Christ. We need some leaders who will do it even if it costs them their lives. God, make us these people. God, make us these people. In this text, we see two shortcuts that we're tempted to take. Rehoboam shows us the shortcut of tyranny. I'm just going to overpower you. I'm going to flex on you. I'm going to tell you I'm the boss. I'm going to make life hard for you, and I'm going to break your spirit so that you must be subjugated to my leadership. The, the, The shortcut of tyranny, but we've got this guy, Jeroboam, who shows us the shortcut of idolatry. God doesn't really need you to do all that hard stuff. You just do whatever you want. Just make your own life of faith. Tell your own truth and live your own story. And just God's fine. God, it'll all come out in the wash. It's okay. The shortcut of tyranny, the shortcut of idolatry. But there's this man called Jesus. And he's different, different. Strong. Son of God who was and is and is to come, who was there in the beginning. He was there before the beginning. Before God said, let there be and there was, Jesus was the light of the world. And Jesus, with his Father, by the power of his Spirit, has been the eternal dance of divine love. Jesus is, and he shows up in the middle of the story. And you know what he does not have? He does not have an org chart. You know what he does not do? He does not flex. You know what he does not do? He does not destroy the poor. He lifts the poor. He becomes the poor so that we can become rich. To the shortcut of tyranny, Jesus steps into the middle of the story and this gospel of John, like... I hope you fall in love with the Gospel of John. I'll just give you a snapshot. It's, two, it's one book, two stories. The first half of the book, the first 12 chapters are the book of signs. The second half of the book of John, the book of glory. Signs, glory, signs. John 2, boom, water into wine at the cane of Galilee. Everyone goes, what's this guy up to? He comes out the gate swinging. I mean, he, like, Jesus goes for it. Water into wine, first sign. Second sign, healing the nobleman's son. He says, go home right now. Your son's fine. He's gonna live. And at that very hour, his son was raised up. Second sign, third sign, healing the man at the pool who was on disability for 38 years. He couldn't get up and walk until Jesus shows up, take up your mat and walk. Boom, 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 boom. Jesus does the third sign. The guy's life has changed. The whole community knows this guy because they've watched him every day at the pool of Siloam until Jesus shows up and this man gets his feet under him. 
fourth sign, feeding the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. And there's 12 baskets full left over. You know what the 12 is to signify? Every single one of the tribes of Israel will have leftovers when Jesus shows up. Five loaves, two fish. There's leftovers and the whole nation can eat. You got Jeroboam up north trying to flex and and you got Rehoboam in the south. And Jesus shows up and goes, all 12 tribes are gonna go home with baskets left over. When you worship God truly, there is abundance. It's the fourth sign. Fifth sign, he walks on water in John 6. The sixth sign, he heals a man that's been born blind. I see men like trees. And then finally, boom, this guy is healed. And the final sign is chapter 11, Lazarus. Sign after sign after sign, and there's seven of them, which is to say perfection. Jesus is perfection. That's one through 12, but at 13, one, the book of glory begins. And I want you to see how glory begins. It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to his father Having loved his own, his disciples who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. And verse three goes on to, verse two, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas who had 30 pieces of silver in his pocket to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the father, Jesus knew that the father had put all things under. Do you see a secure man here? He didn't have to say anything because he knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and that he was returning to, I'm good, says Jesus. I don't need, I don't need you to make me okay. I don't need you to, to affirm me. I don't need, I'm not a deficient until you fix me. Jesus knew where he had come from and he knew where he was going. God, make us like that. So he got up from the meal and he took off his outer clothing And he wrapped the towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This is what glory looks like. Sign after sign after sign after sign. Oh, it was great. And the crowds were gathering and it was beautiful. And it was, but, but in the back room, when nobody's watching, you see what glory looks like when someone is willing to lay down their power and wash the feet of nasty people. He washed Judas's feet. Judas has 30 pieces of silver in his robe. And Jesus gets down. Can you imagine the eye contact that night? I'm serious. And I don't think Jesus was mad. I think he was heartbroken. Judas, are you sure? Come on, man. You serious? Come on, Judas. Judas. In a world drunk on power, Give me some glory. Give me some glory. All I want is the glory. Jesus refused to capitalize on his power. 
he had just built the biggest following in the region. And you know what he exactly does not do? He does not make his own life better. He submits himself to suffering, to heartbrokenness. He gives himself to his betrayers. I can imagine Jesus kissing Judas on the cheek that night. Before Jesus is gonna, Judas is gonna kiss Jesus on the cheek. And he meant every bit of it. And this is what glory looks like. The book of signs, but if the signs don't lead you to glory, all you have is cheap world power. But if the signs are a setup for glory, we'll start looking like Jesus. I'll say two things. If you want to be great, treat everybody else around you as if they are greater than you. If you want to be great like Jesus, like Jesus, treat everybody around you as if they are greater than you. I'm not saying false humility, that's nasty. I'm not saying cheap self-deprecation, that's foolish. I'm not saying slipping into dark self-hatred, not at all. I'm saying you become so confident in who you are that you can leverage your strength for the good of other people. That's what glory looks like. That's what greatness looks like. That's what power looks like. Jesus says, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, be the servant Friends, Rehoboam says you got to power up and be a tyrannical leader. And, and Jeroboam says you got to be an idolatrous leader that gives the people what you want. And Jesus goes, no, you stand right in between those cheap poles and you hold the line and you serve and you bless and you give. So if you want to be great, treat everybody around you as if they are greater than you. But if you want to be happy, Avoid every cheap shortcut that promises instant gratification. Jeroboam, let's put up some idols. Let's make it easier. Let's get it at a discount. Worship is easy. Worship is easy. Worship is easy. No, it's not. If you want to be happy, if you truly want to be happy at the deep soul level, happiness that doesn't show up in spreadsheets and tax documentation, if you want to be happy eternally, avoid every cheap idolatrous shortcut that promises you instant gratification and worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And when the devil comes to you and tries to tempt you with the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, just like he did Jesus in the wilderness say, get thee behind me, Satan. It is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. And if you will stay faithful like that, you will be happy like Jesus. Would you stand with me tonight, church? Can you open your hands as a sign of humility, as a sign of surrender, as a sign of giving yourself over to Jesus? Worship at a cost. Worship with all your heart. 
Take up your cross, deny yourself, come and follow Jesus. That's what I'm inviting you into tonight. God will not overpower you tonight. God is not like Rehoboam. God is not gonna tyrannize you into saying yes. He will invite you. And humility is to say, God, I surrender all. I repent. I humble myself. And so tonight, before we invite the communion service to come, I want you to use your own words. I'm not gonna put words on your mouth. I want you to use your own words where you submit yourself to God, where you humble yourself, where you repent, where you open your heart, where you say, God, I'm all yours. I'm all yours. I'm all yours. You are the only happiness I could ever have. Would you give him those words right now? Would you make it your own right now? Would you come and follow Jesus right now? Lord, you've heard our cry tonight. And you know what we need, and what we need is you. And so we here at New Life Friday night, on this Friday night at 743, we say we are yours, we are yours, we are yours. God, make us clean, make us true, and make us holy, and make us your people, we pray. And I pray that all of us, for all of our days, I pray all of us would die old and full of the spirit of Jesus. That all of us would die old having paid the price to worship, having denied ourselves, having come after you, but not just old, but old and happy <laughs> because we followed Jesus. And so grant that we pray tonight in Jesus' name and all God's people said. I want to invite our communion servers to come down. What you're going to do is come through the room, get your communion elements. We're going to worship the Lord. Go back to your seat. Hold those there. And in just a minute, Jordan's going to come and lead us, and then we'll worship our way out. Let's worship Jesus.
out of the womb by darkness Then bursting forth in glorious day Up from the grave he rose again Then as he stands in victory Since curse has lost its grip elements open yet go ahead and do so please it's amazing hearing a message like that and thinking well that can't be me I don't want to be a tyrant I don't want to be an idolater you know Um, but the Holy Spirit has a very gentle way of just nudging your hearts and saying you know of course not over a nation but what about that conversation you have with your spouse What about that one thing that you won't give up? What about this conversation you're afraid to have with me? And it's not uh, uh, anything to be ashamed of. It's just a way for us to remember when the Holy Spirit brings those things up in our hearts to say, oh, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. And the beautiful thing about needing Jesus is that he knows we can't get to him by ourselves. So that's why he did this. That is why he went to the cross because he knew there is no way my lovely people can get to me without me. So he gave us everything we needed with the body and the blood so we would have everything we need. So take the bread. This is Jesus's body that he broke for you that he broke for Judas when he knew everything we would do that was wrong. But also he knew that with him, we could be like him and do things right by his power. You can receive his body that was broken for you and remember him. 
And as we take the cup, one thing I love about taking the cup is that it is the new covenant. It's not the old covenant of sin. It's not the old covenant of power dynamics. It's not the old covenant of tyranny. It's not the old covenant of idolatry. It is the new covenant by the blood of Jesus. So as we receive this, we can remember him. You may receive the blood. We're gonna go back into this song in Christ alone. And as we do, I want y'all to give up the tyranny of your hearts, give up the idols and receive the fullness of what Christ has for you. Let's worship. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to a final breath. It's Jesus. Jesus commands my death. No guilt in life again. No guilt. No guilt in life. No fear in death. Oh, this is the power of beautiful friends. Amazing. A couple of announcements before y'all go in the peace of the Lord. Um, one, if y'all are interested in the national prayer conference that's happening this week, uh, you can find information about that on our church website. Baptisms are happening October 13th. So if you or someone you know would like to get baptized, you can find that information online or find me after the service. And third announcement, we love you so much. Y'all are awesome. Um, our prayer team is going to be at the front for anyone who needs prayer. Um, Guest Central, if you're new, new-ish, have questions, comments, concerns, government secrets, jokes, recipes, whatever, you can hang out with us in the back. It's awesome. And with that, please open up your hands to receive a blessing if you are so inclined. May the Lord bless you and keep you, New Life Friday night. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he lift you up by the light of his countenance and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen, amen. I love you people. See y'all next week.